Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode number 118. So, like the last couple podcasts, before we start, we got a Twitter chat this May 4th. Be with you. Um, Friday at 1 p.m. Central. We're going to be talking about PCB fixture design. Um, and then the meetup info is May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Macrofab HQ in Houston. We'll have Brandon from Particle. Um, he's going to give a talk about IoT fundamentals, probably some stuff with Particle devices. Um, and then there's the Houston ha- Hardware Happy Hour, which the first one will be this Thursday. Um, so if you're in Houston, come by. Uh, it's May 3rd at Slowpokes, 6 p.m. Come by, bring hacks, and hang out. I think Steven is going to be there with his synthesizer that we built. Yep. I say we. I built like the enclosure, and that's it. <laughs> uh, it it's curly maple, yeah. and it was stained, and it was all you designed it. So yeah, yeah you you had a part in that. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna be uh, gonna be uh, having hopefully some open synthesizers where people yeah. can just come and play. Yeah. So yeah. So Steven, if it still works, if it still works, we haven't. <laughs> had, the funny thing is, he said that it hasn't been turned on since the podcast we had it on here. <laughs> well, I, I built the other one, yeah. the better one, yeah, right the much better one. Yeah. So that's that's that. That's come that. come and play, have fun. Yeah. So hopefully we have um, more people show up with their hacks, and you know, I think I'm gonna bring one of my old um, Nintendo portables. So I got the thing about that is I gotta find the charger. I don't know where the charger is. Oh, the, that's uh, your your Nintendo NES with that. Yep. It, the whole cartridge fits in the back and yep. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the problem with that is, well, it works. I just haven't found the charger in, like, ages. It's a standard 7.4 volt two-cell lithium charger. I just got to find it. We should make, of course, I'm going to say we should do something, and we're probably not going to do it, but <laughs> it'd be cool to have a secondary port that has a slave screen and controller such that a second player could plug in and they don't have the process or anything like that it's just a screen and a controller and then you could do tecmo super bowl uh yeah. two player at uh, Slowpokes. so the f- funny thing about that is back when i was in that like i guess you can call it scene like there's a whole community designing hacking portable uh, consoles to make them portable the, the like Ben Heck kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's actually it was called the Ben Heck forms. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah go figure. So <laughs> the thing about this was we actually, the, the first standard I ever designed was called the, I can't, N64 something. But it was a standard that used an Ethernet connector. So you could basically have two N64 portables. And if you had this connector on it and you implemented the circuitry right, you could plug in an Ethernet connector and then an Ethernet connector into the other one. And... One would be set up as the master, and it would slave your buttons uh, to the other system and your screen to the other system, and so you could uh, do that. So, so it, the, the 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 slave's processor would just say, "Hey, give me data. I'm just going to throw it up." Oh on the no, screen. the N64 inside would be disconnected. Oh, and I it see, would pass the buttons, the control buttons, and the uh, screen over that connector. Ah, okay. Yeah, because the N64 used like three pins for the um, controller with data, power, and ground. Mm-hmm. And so it was like you just sent data across, and yeah, it was actually really cool. I, I don't think we ever built anything with it, but that was like the first standard. I gotta dig that. Up. It's gotta be on like my web server somewhere. That's like the uh, like the old days ago. of the Game Boy Advance with the, the where you had to have the advanced link cable. Yep, and it had that goofy like pigtail that had. Uh, you know, three connections on the end of the pigtail, and you'd have this like weird octopus mess of cables to play four-player games. Yeah, like you remember, um, 
uh, Legend of Zelda Four Swords. You could play mm -hmm. a four player. Mm -hmm. And I did it once. I actually got four people together and played that, but it was just like an absolute mess. <laughs> it was it was fun. I liked it. So I, I had to dig up that um, standard because that's the first standard. Did you write like a white paper standard? Uh, it was a paper it was an I drew up uh, on paper yeah. and then like scanned it in. But it has like this is how you implement it. Blah 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 blah. And just thinking about it is like kind of like cringy because like. <laughs> We like argued about that the standard like online, like intense arguing, internet arguing about how to pass Nintendo data over an Ethernet well, cable. Because there was like competing standards and stuff. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Eventually, course, no yeah. one built it. Basically, no one just. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to contact <laughs> IEEE and ask if they can implement this into as a standard. The, as a standard yeah. IPC N64. Yeah, da dash N64. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The Mario standard. The Mario standard. Ah. Uh, Okay, so yep. Steven, <laughs> what have you been working on? <laughs> a little on? bit of an offshoot there. Uh, actually, so I will be working on what I'm about to talk about. Actually, right after um, the podcast, I'm going to be fixing a buddy's amp. Actually, a guy who works at uh, MacFab here. Uh, Jerry McDaniel, you may have talked to I him I think a lot before. of our customers know him. Yeah, he's a... Uh, he's gosh, the one-man support what is, crew. what is his role? What is, I mean, what is his uh, actual title? Uh, I call him... I, Oh, Director of Delight, the I DOD, him, that's right. I call him the Customer Wrangler. <laughs> customer, yeah. They, they, all of these are accurate <laughs> terms here. Uh, so, so he's actually had this amp for uh, a super long time. and uh, It's very he's been, orange. He's been talking to me for years about, like, well, yeah, maybe not years, but a long time about fixing it. And the funny thing is it actually works, um, but it picks up radio. Uh, signals. So just like sitting there, uh, and 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 what's really funny about it is like, oh, it's it, like in Houston, it always picks up Tejano stations. Like <laughs> you go to your your jam room, everyone turns on their amps, and it just you just start hearing Tejano. It's it's hilarious. Hey, if, uh, what's uh what's the uh, ZZ Top heard it on the X? Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. song kicks ass. Yeah. So um, y'all don't know, heard it on the X is a ZZ Top song that is about listening to. Radio. So this is back in like the 80s and 70s, where you would have um, radio stations in Mexico, and they would illegally broadcast by basically turning up their power past like FCC standards, and they would broadcast just across be the, the biggest guy on in, yeah, basically, and yeah. just drown everyone out. Yep. I mean, that's how like what was it the pirate radio movie, which was the um, boat or whatever it was. Yeah, they went offshore and broadcasted from there. Yeah, that's the only way you could listen to like rock and roll back in the yeah, day. and back in Britain in the 50s or whatever yeah um so yeah that's it was kind of similar um and i guess popular enough that zz top wrote a song about that so hopefully all listeners know who zz top is i i'm pretty sure they know who zz top is i guess write in if you don't know what zz top is <laughs> <laughs> no go to youtube immediately and go listen to the whole discography of of zz top yeah, that's your homework for the week <laughs> <laughs> if you have never heard them, um, so so yeah, this, this it's it's funny. The, the picking up radio is actually a, uh, an issue in many many tube amps because uh, what what what's funny that's, is but to clarify, that's not what it's supposed to. do. Yes, yeah, that yeah, <laughs> that is that is not the intent. And and so so here's the, here's the thing that's funny about it. In a tube amp, uh, your your guitar plug it plugs into a quarter inch jack, and the signal rides down a wire that goes literally directly into it rides lightning. Yeah, right into the first tube. Like mm -hmm. that's the input of every tube amp out there. Now there's almost always and i say like almost always being like 99 percent of the time there's a one meg resistor to ground but 
that's pretty much it unless you have a series resistance. So your signal is is like pump, pumped directly into the first tube and inside that tube is a vacuum and it's your signal goes into like just a mesh of wires inside of that that tube. So really the input impedance of that tube is purely defined by that one meg resistor that's on the output of that tube. If you don't have a, a resistor in series with it, the length of the cable that goes inside of the amp and combined with that one meg resistor happens to fit within radio frequency pickup range. So you basically have an antenna. Mm -hmm. And the way they solve this is they just put a resistor in line to just swamp out. Effectively, what you're doing is the input capacitance on a tube is about 100 picofarads once you've multiplied it, it. Well, multiplied it by its amplification factor. It's like one or two picofarads in reality, but it acts as a hundred once you multiply it by the gain of oh, the yeah. tube. You talked about active capacitors a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, it's called the Miller capacitance. Uh, so the input capacitance actually it's it like I said, it's small, but the way the tube thinks about it is it's So the guy huge. brought us active filters and be- light beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> High life tubes. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. So between between that that in series resistance and the virtual Miller capacitance on the front end, you're basically making a radio frequency mm-hmm. filter. The downfall of that is that the entirety of the noise of an amp is swamped by the Johnson noise of that first resistor. So Johnson noise, for those who don't know, like every resistor out there just produces noise from heat, effectively. Yep. So it's thermal noise. Right, right. Yeah. So the, like the electrons inside of a resistor, they just move. Even yeah. if they're, you know, like just in room temperature, they're jiggling around. And uh, so it produces an, its own, I guess not produces, but but there's a, there's a noise that is produced by thermal movement jitter yeah jitter basically and it's random but it's there and it's dependent upon the um uh resistance so you would want lower resistance Mm -hmm. but in order to make a proper radio filter on the front end you usually do something in the range of like 68k but since that's right at the input, 100% of the noise generated by that resistor is, right is on amplified the, all the way, way through. through the amp. And if you're talking about a guitar amp where you're just hammering thousands of times gain, you get a lot of hiss and a lot of... You know, it's not hum, it's hiss or popping on the output. So typically you try to keep that resistor between like 10K and 60K. The lower you go, the worse the radio filter gets. The higher you go, the better it gets. But you start to get more noise so so what about those people that use wireless guitars does that get rid of that then it does because you because with a wireless thing you're going to have a real low driving impedance okay uh but a guitar has an incredibly high driving impedance like most guitars have between 250k and 500k pots on the output Mm -hmm. and those pots are turned all the way up because guitars (laughs) and and so the output impedance (laughs) of of a guitar plus all the weird capacitance and inductance of a cable which you know one guy has a six foot cable and another guy has a 20 foot cable Mm -hmm. and they're different coax and all so all of that like plays into so what about um doing like a fully shielded cable or is that not matter on the uh inside the amp no 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 like your guitar cable fully shielded oh every guitar cable is fully shielded okay so and that doesn't prevent the antenna pickup well no but but a shielded cable is a big capacitor right so you're oh, adding you're adding okay, okay, okay so you yeah. have you have the uh inductances of the coils inside the guitar and yep. then you have a handful of resistors for tone yep 
and yep. volume, and then you have this big monster cable that is a huge capacitor that goes into you know blah blah mm-hmm. blah 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 keep going down the line you know yeah. it's, it's like a horrible homework problem back in college uh remember like impedance networks and all that yep. crap yeah so you know all of that plays into your frequency response but you know even even a small like half inch trace on a pcb along with one or two picofarads can actually make a radio antenna mm-hmm. so it's it's more of a matter of just like swamping it with resistors so gotcha. so after after this podcast i'm actually gonna break open the app and basically, I think his amp doesn't actually have that resistor. That's why he's picking up radio. Mm. And um, we're too close to the border here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the X is broadcasting too loud. Yeah, yeah it's 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 broadcasting on orange amps. Uh, frequency. Worldwide, yeah, in Texas. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just mess around with that resistor, and I'm gonna bias the tubes, which you know that's a whole other topic we can talk about another another time. Yeah, some brand new tubes right here. Yeah, brand new E34Ls. Those are uh, those are some nice crunchy little tubes there. Now, are these actually brand new or brand new? Box has never been open. You can you can break them open. Slovak Republic. Yeah, well, there's uh, I think there's two factories in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's more. There's, there's more, but there's two like commercial factories. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry, three. There's Czech Republic, there's Russia, and there's China, that uh, that do commercial tubes. There's small ones speckled around things but uh yeah, but this came from the there's Czech some Republic. u.s manufacturers that make tubes but they're for like satellites and actual radio antennas and stuff well and they're, and, they're ginormous <laughs> well and and most most radio stations still run on tubes uh like well, the yeah. actual broadcast you know, tube we, is, you know we talked about that yeah um, yeah a couple well, long, a time, long ago. time ago yeah, yeah, yeah. um because the only way to because you need a ginormous amplifier to pump out 50 kilowatts and you need usually a single stage to do that shoot where you're talking more like a megawatt yeah. i mean like a lot of watt a uh, lot of watt yeah a lot of watt yeah oh, um, that's a new that's a steve craig standard <laughs> I, I should just make a new amp called the lot of watt the sks steve craig standard yeah. lot of watt i like that <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's what that's what I'm gonna do. Maybe we'll maybe we'll take some pictures. Yeah, throw them up there. Have some fun. You can see the guts of an amp. Yep. So, what you been up to, Parker? So I finished the DAC article part three. It should go live around the time this podcast comes out, I guess. Um, so that's done. It basically goes over like how to make your PCB better for like production testing by like adding pogo pin contacts and how to design a fixture with pogo pins and stuff like that. Um, so that's going to come out and then I started working on part four, which is like writing the code and actually saying, Oh, it works. Um, and actually spoiler alert, it did did work, um, (laughs) which was good. So I spent like 30 minutes writing code today and got it to work, which is nice. So rev one of the fixture worked out of the box. That's like four years of learning how to design a fixture <laughs> and knowing what tolerances matter. Oh yeah, <laughs> when building physical devices. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna have a podcast. So uh, did, you, did you write anything about no surface mount pogo pins? Um, I didn't say. That's a good good point. I didn't say that, but I said I like these because they're through hole. <laughs> and they have a okay. It's, it's so the, it could be interpreted as yeah. A, yeah. There's those. Um, it's the Milmax. Mm-hmm. brand yeah. because yeah. they have a through hole but it's not just a th- uh, straight shot it's got that step mm-hmm. and so they sit on their PCB yeah like a flange yeah kind of so that way it's always set with the right offset so you always have pogo pins level 
Right, right. No. That's the big thing, is having the Pokepins level. Yeah, I, I, and I was saying don't use Surface Mount uh, because we've had some um, experiences with uh, Surface Mount. Yeah, Pokemon. the first fixture we ever built <laughs> was like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and it was... Well, the first fixture that was Pogo Pins for Macrofab. Yes. And uh, that that did, just didn't go as well. It as sounded we like such a great idea. Well, okay, so the, the, there is a... You could use them if you have them supported in some way. Yeah. Or if they go through, like... If they went through, like, a plastic block yeah. or something Mine like that. Mine are going through the plastic block, but I did the through hole anyways. Yeah. Because I remember when we did the surface mount ones, is they always drifted a bit. Oh yeah, and they and they always they never reflowed vertical. They always tilted a bit. Yep, because the surface tension would ball up and kind of push them over. They're just super super sensitive to paste amount and your pad um, dimensions. Dimensions. If your pads are not perfect on there, they they just slide around. Yeah, uh, there's nothing to keep them in place. Yeah, so. But it's, th- it's a one-pin surface mount component. And, th- and this is the thing with a fixture is you want to design it for reliability. And it's yeah. a, usually a one-off NRE charge. So it's like, okay, I'm going to spend an extra $10 in labor to put through whole pogo pins on it. Whoop-de-doo. Well, well, okay, so the, the, the thing that I could <laughs> see the surface mount pogo pins working for is like, um, you know, ah, this is going to show me not knowing my Macintosh crap, but the, uh, you know, they're, they're like Mag magnetic. Connect. They're MagConnect, yeah. I could see, you know, a surface mount board where it's like encased in an aluminum okay, thing where yeah. it just like clips in. Like, that might be a good situation where they could work. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like if they were soldered together with a shroud holding them. Yep, that would be a fine. Like you situation. had a uh, um, reflow resistant temperature wise plastic. And, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, I could see yeah. that. that. That could work, but but the price is the same in almost like yeah. So use through hole. Yeah, <laughs> Just use through hole ones. So I don't remember the part number off the top of my head. It's like. 30 digits long so of course yeah. yeah i'll put it in the podcast notes and just check out the article um so yeah part four will come out probably next week or the week after that and it's basically gonna be like it works here's the code and and like a video of it like working like showing like it's how fast it is because that's the thing is the whole point was to speed up your programming process so instead of having because i could have just made cables that plugged in and all that stuff and Sure, that been fine, but you know, plugging in cables takes you know ten to fifteen seconds. Whereas I just put this thing on the board and hit a button, and the Arduino hits it with I square C and I two S, and bam, done. <laughs> you got it. It's usually tests it in like five seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you got to love it when you get uh, assembly instructions from a customer, and they're like, plug these three cables into the side of the board and they and and uh, they say how long it takes after that and it's like 1.5 seconds to do this. <laughs> come on dude <laughs> uh, um oh yeah and then so DAC articles blah blah so part four will come out and that's like the last thing for this DAC so that's cool basically I'm finally free of that article series um I don't know what the next article series will be, but we'll figure it out. I think it's basically working on knowledge base a lot because there's a lot of like articles that we can write, like castellated edges and and like drawing uh, cutouts correctly for all the different EDA tools and stuff like that. Um, I'm basically going to finish up the Eagle stuff first because that's what I know, and then I'm going to learn KiCad. 
I Yikes. think my eye twitched a bit. But <laughs> I, I, I ran into uh, Sprint Layout this week. Um, I actually layout. found a uh, so, so there was a there was a board I was really interested in on a forum that I frequent, um, and I was like, oh cool, the guy gave his layout file, and uh, I downloaded it, and it's a Sprint Layout file. Have you ever used? Sprint Never heard layout? of it. It's apparently it's another EDA tool. Uh, it's fifty bucks. I, yeah, I think fifty bucks hmm. for the whole thing, and it kind of sucks because unless you pay fifty bucks, you can't convert it into a different format, and you cannot export Gerber's. So it's basically like if, if if I want to do anything to his board in terms of like ordering Gerber's or modifying it, I'd have to pay fifty bucks for Sprint Layout, hmm. and uh, I can get the demo version so I can view his boards, but it's just like ah oh, man, that kind of sucks. Hmm. Let's look into it. Yeah, take a look at it. But, I, I I hadn't even heard about it until just the other day. Yeah. So, so basically, KeyCAD would be next. I have to learn KeyCAD. I'm going to basically redraw like the Maca Watch. Ah, yeah. And get that rolling. Then try to do Ultium. And if Ultium, if you're listening, I'd like to have a copy a license. Uh, that'd make be nice. that two. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 be mean, your friends. It's, it's only two copies. Yeah, only two copies. <laughs> <laughs> and make them unlimited for the rest of our life, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's only two. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, that's what we're working on next. Um, so, DefCon twenty six. Yeah, so that's this August, beginning of August. Um, I booked my plane tickets. Nice. So I'll be there. Are you gonna come, Stephen? I will do my best to make my way out there. We'll we'll have to see. I haven't really been uh, looking that far out right now. Yeah, I guess it's not that far out. But no. that's what that's what I realized. I'm like, oh wait, it's <laughs> not that far away. <laughs> uh, yeah, I may I may have to uh, see if I can uh, get my way out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I booked my plane tickets, and I'm looking for like getting a hotel room. I actually was looking. Hotel rooms aren't that bad per day. Like you can get eighty bucks a day. Really? Yeah, it's just right off the strand. Hmm. And like I'm like, oh, that's not too scummy. No. No. So I think the idea with DEFCON 26 for MacFab is going to be is I'm going to basically like do lots of MEP episodes. Ah. And I've been working on a badge, but I don't, it's not going to be ready. Like, It's a next year badge. It's a next year badge. It's not going to be ready. So this year I'm going to use, I'm going to build a um, quote shitty add-on unquote that's what they call it actually it's a shitty add-on connector okay. and there's like a there's a hackaday.io like standard for this really yeah and like the connector is like offset at like a weird angle and all of this course yeah because yeah. it's, it's a shitty standard yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and so what i was going to do is i was going to design a mep bat a mep shitty add-on I don't know really what it's going to do yet, but it's probably going to have blinking lights. And um, the bus has I square C, but you usually have to get with like the badge designer and put your I square C code on it. So it's like ah fuck that. That's like too much work. Yeah. Um, and so I might go to like that idea we had with a voice modulator. So like it had a mic- like a microphone on the back, mm-hmm. like put a mems microphone. Yep. And then a, a piezo on the front end, and then. So you can talk into it, and so if someone didn't want their voice to be recorded, they can use this. <laughs> yeah, you have a little switch on the side, and you could do like octave up or octave down, yeah. or do like goofy stuff. Yeah. yeah, and just make it super simple. Yeah, you know, put, you know, put like an EF- I can probably use like a forty cent EFM eight because it has an analog input. Sample the microphone, 
and then oh no it's men's it's probably i square c so don't really need that uh and then just basically pwm drive make a Piso. really bad dsp yeah on there. yeah and just like that'd be like, perfect like, like sample at like 1k or something yeah. like that's horrible for it. um <laughs> but so if you if you go on the map uh and interview on the map you get one of these oh and so that's like, like that. to get people to do, do i get one of those do, if you come i guess out, i need to be a guest on the map oh you can get one you just have to come out and get one <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know how many i'm going to make yet probably i mean i'm pretty much going to go out there and that's like what i'm going to do is like interview well, people you haven't been out there neither have no. i and so it sounds like it'd be a good trip for like research yeah yeah, I'm see go what there. it's like. Yeah, I'm going to go out there, talk to a lot of people, record a lot, like, try to get everyone's story. I'm going to go to a lot of uh, talks because, like, you know, that's my thing with hardware. Because the good thing about DevCon is there's a lot of hardware stuff now. And so I'm going to do that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Nice. Um, and then the Game Boy project. Um and I always, I was, I was like, two weeks ago, I was like, oh, yeah, that's going to be my new project I'm going to work on. Now I'm working on this, like, badge thing. Um, but I upgraded to the newest version, Eagle. <laughs> Hashtag ADD life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I upgraded the newest version, Eagle version 9. And so I've been doing the Game Boy board in that. And the first thing I'm doing is I'm using their new feature, which is called Design Blocks, which is an actual design element like you can design FPGA with all its supporting hardware and then actually route it out with planes and stuff and you can save that that's cool and so you can just drop it into your schematic and it drops that whole segment into your board that's pretty awesome yeah so that's like the best thing I think Cat Autodesk has done to Eagle is like that um, there's like fancy routing crap too but um, it actually looks really impressive when you look at the gifts they have in their like press release so i tried it out and it's pretty good but it does not do side exiting out of pads <laughs> it really yeah it will just go straight out and so it'll go out like at a 45 degree angle if it wants to oh okay. and so it's like oh it looks ugly <laughs> <laughs> so it needs an option eagle cad soft autodesk if you're listening if you <laughs> have an option to turn on so it will just it'll always go out 90 degrees out of your pad yeah so so uh does that uh, does it have an impact on bill of materials like will it say one circuit block or will it still like break out it breaks it out breaks it all yeah, out so it puts all those parts in and but does it lump them together and say like hey these are all part of this circuit block i don't know yet because because that would be cool if there was an option to do that where it could say like one of these function blocks is these parts you know like oh. like sub, like sub bill of materials i don't stuff. know i have to check to see what the um um what the uh what do they call it the hierarchy yeah because they have like a weird hierarchy and you can figure that by looking at their ulp so i actually had just to look at the new ulp documentation and see if like they have design blocks i guess they do probably and see if you can pull that out you know actually um i don't know this about eagle i i ran into this the other day um in dip trace so in Diptrace, you can create different pages, and you can have yep. a multi-page schematic. And uh, I really like that because I'll put my processor on one page, my power supply on another mm -hmm. page. I'll chunk it all out. But one thing that sucks is with Diptrace that you cannot do, you can't make a PCB that includes 
anything less than all of the pages. So in other words, like, let's say I wanted my PCB to be its own individual, uh, I'm sorry, my power supply to be its own individual PCB. I couldn't just select that page and say, only make a PCB with this page. Gotcha. I'd have to make a whole nother file, which mm -hmm. isn't a big deal. You just copy it over. But I would love it if I could say, like, these three pages are one PCB, these two pages are another oh, PCB. So you're kind of building a, a internal product and in your EDA tool. Exactly. I, th I think that would be really cool. And I think Ultium can do that. Probably. I think, I think Ultium Eagle is, can't do that. Eagle can't? Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that level of... I guess professionalism until you get into the like big guys, yeah, yeah. you know. But I, I really wish Diptrace could do that. That would be really convenient. That'd be basically like a your board part would have pages. Effectively, yeah, yeah, because yeah. because the way, I mean the way I do it now is I name my files the name of the project and then I name each board like top board or bottom board or whatever yeah, that yeah, board yeah. is but i have to have but in order to make that work i have to have multiple files mm -hmm. lying around it's not a big deal it's more of an exercise in like file allocation and in, in how you structure those kinds That's of things i've never actually designed really a product that had multiple boards in it oh i know i take that back one of the products i designed for dynamic perception way back in the day had two boards one was like the control board or with the microcontroller and all that stuff on it. And then we built a, I had a subboard that had buttons on it. And so that went to the front of the case. Yeah. Um, and then there was a flex cable that went between. And I just had two equal files for it. Yeah, yeah, I, and which that works great. It's just when you have a board that has lots of inner board connections, mm -hmm. it's nice to have them right next to each other or in the same files so that you can guarantee that, you know, this goes to that yeah. kind of thing. So, I don't know, whatever. I mean, it's, once again, it's just more of an exercise on making sure all your stuff is right. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, I wanted to uh, state... I watched the video just the other day uh, where Ben Heck made the big Game Boy thing yeah. using your code. And yeah. I, I would suggest to all of our listeners, if you haven't seen that, go to YouTube and watch the Ben Heck episode. Because this actually is Ben Heck using the uh, Parker's code that he's been talking about here. Yep. It's just a cool thing to go check out. I guess it's just yeah. a big monitor, really. Yeah, but, that's what it is. <laughs> but but you, can, you can see it in action. Yeah. Um, the funny thing about it is Ben's... Game Boy he made is like the world's second largest Game Boy. Someone made, one, someone made one slightly bigger, but the thing about it, the person who made the, I can't remember, some Swedish guy probably. Okay. Um, his is not in the correct proportions. Oh, Ben's, Ben's is probably is, is one to one. Perfectly one to one scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of <laughs> anal about that stuff. So, I really want to do is I want to make a, for this year's Houston uh, Maker Fair, I want to build a four foot by eight foot Game Boy. Oh, it'd be so heavy. Yeah, make it ginormous, and then basically put built-in wheels in the back and blah, blah, blah. Um, Wait, could you play it like DDR style? That's what I was going to do. As I was going to build a scaled <laughs> NES pad. Yes. And so you need two people to control it. One person on the D-pad and one person on the buttons. Nice. Yeah. That's so, great. So that's that's one of my, that's like my like midsummer project when it's like hot as crap outside. I'll be in the garage melting. You're going to have thing. to find a giant monitor that has one-to-one -one, um, scale. Like, it has to be a square. No, you just letterbox it. Oh, that's cheating. You can't find a monitor like that. That's why I was saying. You're going to have to. I was going to do is I was going to get a big, um, one of those old projector TVs. Yeah. Because they were lighter. And 
pop that up there. Unless I can get like a big like fifty six inch TV for free. Get a big uh, DLP and make your whole your whole like reflective system in there. Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> That'd be a pain in the ass. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm gonna build this ginormous thing, and yeah, I think I should make the cartridges replaceable. You should make like full size cartridges like. To scale, to scale, yeah, but it still has, but it still has a little EEPROM in there. Yeah, but it's like big cartridge, (laughs) huge cartridge. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a lot of gold pins, like monster gold pins, like the size of your hand. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll just have like a fake cartridge in it. Yeah, macrofab cartridge. Um, So yeah, that's that's what I want to do for the uh, Houston Maker Fair. Um, Oh yeah, and then I have a pin heck update. I'm just full of updates. You got to get a lot going on. the uh ras- we got the raspberry pi working pretty well on video um i bought a book called the raspberry pi gpu audio video programming by jan newmarch oh man that's a page that's turner a right snoozer. there <laughs> <laughs> it is the first chapter is like what the raspberry pi is about and i'm like oh yeah i get this the second second chapter is like the third line is like here's c code <laughs> nice <laughs> um and yeah we were able to get some video running like Right away, straight API calls to the GPU on the Raspberry Pi. Oh wow, that's cool. So, that's really where the magic of the uh, Raspberry Pi is. Because the GPU, because the thing is, the CPU on the Pi is like from '97, <laughs> and but the GPU is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um. And yeah, direct access calls to that GPU is super fast. Like you would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Basically, like you click a button, you click enter to run the command, and it immediately pops up. Cool. And decodes. Um, and so we're going to get on the next big thing is get video switching working really well, and that's with the SD card random access. Get that working, and then we're pretty much set to go. Awesome. Yeah. So more on that when probably when we get some like a tech demo working, we'll probably talk more about that. Um, so yeah, RFO time. On to the RFO. Yeah, unless you're not doing anything else. Um, I'm not doing as much as you. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> do too much. Shit. <laughs> so actually, uh, I actually kind of prepared a little bit of a question, and this is more of a discussion, more to figure out. I guess you could say some uh, a way that you do some PCB stuff. Okay. Because uh, I've actually been reading up a lot on this topic recently, and I wanted to get your opinion on things. Uh, how do you, or do you, take a specific approach? To grounding on your PCB. Hmm. All right. So, do you want me to start? Go for it. All right. So usually, um, I try to do every every single component on one side. So I guess we're talking about two layer boards. Uh, I'm talking about PCBs. Okay. So, so yeah. if it's a two layer board, yeah, I almost hundred percent put all the parts on the top side, one ground plane on the bottom. And then you drop down as close as possible to wherever the ground needs to go. So, like, if you have a bypass cap, you try to go as close. You move your via as close as possible to that pad, and you drop down. Okay, so, yeah, you're doing the, 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 the like, the plane and plunge yeah. method. Plane and plunge. That's actually what we should call that. Yeah. 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 Uh, P&P. And, and I, <laughs> I, I've totally done that. No, I've, I've, that's probably actually I've done that the most. I think myself. That too. is what I normally do. Like a hundred, if it's a two lay board, hundred percent times what I do. Like the DAC board is that, and the, you and you try to keep that ground plane, yeah, wide open, wide open. Never. I I will actually like redesign, like go back to the schematic, redesign 
move pins around, GPIO around, just to make the traces right, so I don't have to go to the, I don't have to break that plane. Gotcha. Yeah, and then the five volt or whatever VCC, um, three point three volts usually is. I'll run that like on the perimeter, on the top layer, and then go up in kind of like a branch fashion. I don't know if that's correct, but it looks correct when I do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it works. Right? It works really it well. Works. It's low noise and so 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 on a four layer board. Do you dedicate one layer to ground? To ground and so it's the same thing. Is one's ground and one's power. Yeah, and so you and then just, you have two signal lanes. Yeah, and yeah. so you do the same thing. Is I usually try to put as many parts as possible on one side. Um, usually, I'm, if I do a four layer board, it's there's a reason because I need super low noise on like the power, like FPGA, or I'm doing um, uh, or fine pitch things. Fine, that very very it. fine pitch things or BGAs basically. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because usually I can get away with doing like the ring power line. But yeah, like the pin heck is like a six layer board because all the power planes are like all over the place. All the, where they we need five volts and where you need three point three volts, and so it was getting a little hairy trying to tr- draw a ginormous fat trace like a you know a two hundred mil trace across <laughs> the back of the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like ah screw it, and that and, the, and that volumes doing a six layer board is only like an extra ten bucks. So yeah, it, it's worth it in that case. Yeah. So so yeah, and and one of the, one of the reasons why I've been asking is because uh, I I've been on sort of like a a big research phase on to what what is the best method well topology and scheme mm-hmm. for for a lot of the things that I've been really doing. Some people really like the star ground. Well, and 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 actually, so so get this, I found. I found in general that there's three different schools of of mind, and there's there's positives to all of them. There's the the plane and plunge guys, like, mm-hmm. and 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 you and I are, have been those for the yep. majority of our stuff. I of course you know in like my tube amps, I don't have that. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I'll do wire here and there. Then there's star ground at the other extreme. So so pl- you know the plane ground is just like you have one big chunk of ground. Yeah, and you go directly to it as fast as possible. As fast as possible. And star ground means that every ground point in your entire system has one individual dedicated wire to one point and it's very different Mm -hmm. uh now there is a third thought that's kind of in between and it's called galactic grounds i never heard of that i love that i I think i've heard of branching or tree style well and it's it's sort of that way um and in fact it probably is the same I like thing. Galactic, galactic, yeah, it's it's super great because instead of like Battlestar star galactic grounds, yeah, yeah, BGG. <laughs> so so when a galactic star ground or a that's such a great name, yeah. I love that. Uh, what you do is you take circuit block elements that all it doesn't matter if their grounds inter- intermingle. So take for instance, like if you have an op amp and mm-hmm. it has some you know inputs and outputs that somehow go to ground, those are okay to all clump together into one wire and mm-hmm. then to send that to a star. So that's a galaxy. Uh, and so if you have gotcha. a microcontroller with a bunch of bypass caps, that's another galaxy. Gotcha. And those can all go individually. Because what happens, the whole reason why you do this is, you know, um, traces have resistance. Yep. Uh, even though it's really low, they have some. So if current flows into a ground, you actually get a voltage potential yeah, across the ground or right. across your trace. Yeah, right, right, or across the plane. Exactly. So, uh, if you have high currents going through there, you can actually raise the ground of an entire other circuit block, and that can 
have all kinds of issues yep. oscillation and noise and all kinds of crap so if you have like a really low noise situation you can galaxy all of your low noise stuff together and send it to the star and all your dirty stuff you like your that's kind of like that's kind of like separating things. out planes yeah it is the one thing that i've been really kind of digging into though is planes actually don't the way electrons flow in a plane is not necessarily the path of least resistance. Nope. It's the path of least inductance. Correct. Impedance. Well, impedance, yes. Yeah. Which which equates to inductance, inductance. in that case yes. because there's not a lot, not a huge amount of capacitance in that situation. Yeah. And so, think about it this way: if you have a slow signal, it's usually better to give it its own individual ground line. Mm-hmm. And if you have a fast signal, it's usually good to give it a huge plane because the. Uh, and what I mean by fast is you know digital signals you know that have fast transitions like mm-hmm. a square wave kind of thing. It will find its own best path to ground if yep. you give it a plane. But a slow signal doesn't I mean, doesn't typically like that, uh, and that can actually cause some some issues. So kind of a mixture of planes and galaxies together. Is- gives you sort of the best situation. best situation so but i am kind of curious and i want to soon I've, I've kind of been playing around with some ideas i want to try to do a true star pcb where i have like a point right in the middle of the of it and i dedicate an entire plane or an entire layer on the back and instead of planing it it just has gazillions of lines going <laughs> into this one point because uh, uh let me you know i i'll keep talking but i'm gonna look up an image i saw a, a star ground image the other day of someone who did that and it probably doesn't like make your circuit work Better. 50 times better or anything like that. It probably doesn't even make it work any better. Probably not. But uh, but it's still kind of like a fun exercise yeah. to do. You know, it'd be really nice to be able to test all this stuff. You know... Uh, we need an anacobic chamber here. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, a, and, a, and an amp that can read, like, picovolts or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, uh, actually, I've always wanted to get a distortion analyzer. Um, for oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. The, You know, you don't really find them very often for, like, cheap yeah. and... You don't really use them very often. Uh, I mean, like if if you're a guy who's you know designing analog chips for TI, then you, you have would one. use them. Yeah. But if you're a guy at home, like you don't need that. But uh, it'd still be fun to have sometime. You know, I don't know. It's uh, uh, like so. I was just curious what what your thought was. So I I actually, um, if I have an analog front end, like I, ha- I have this board I designed called the Octoprober, uh-huh. which is an eight channel. Um, thermocouple device, and its whole analog section has eight, you know, thermocouple readers, and so each one has its own dedicated ground plane that connect up to a main trace that goes to the main ground. So that's kind of galaxy, I guess. There. So yeah, I do understand that. That's actually a really good concept. Yeah, yeah, and um, and the way the way I've been kind of like conceptualizing it is, uh, you have like. You have like a, a lake yeah. for your city, and that lake feeds like water towers, and then those water towers feed homes, mm-hmm. and the homes are like your individual circuit blocks, and their water would actually feed back to the water towers, and the water towers would feed back to the lake. Mm-hmm. You don't want the homes necessarily feeding back to the lake or feeding to other homes or something like that. You want to keep them in those like specific loops. So keep your loops tight. You know, if you have a bulk capacitor that feeds a 
op amp, you want the return current from that op amp to go back to the capacitor, the capacitor. not back to some other random ground. Yep. So uh, I, 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 I found that image. I'm going to give that to Park. You see, that, like, that is, <laughs> that is a That's star crazy. ground. Like, it, on this board, someone dedicated an entire side. They put a big monster circle in the middle, yep. and all the grounds go to that one circle. So it's just traces <laughs> going everywhere to that. So this person was really, whoever designed this was really strict about their star grounding. Yeah. So. You have to post that. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll shoot it off to you. Alright, so I guess we'll go on to the next RFO. Yeah. So this is one that you found? Yeah, the, uh, I, I, I saw this earlier today uh, and I was like, oh, this is this is super cool. Um, I thought this would be really fun to talk about. Uh, so uh, there's a new... Arduino-ish board out that's called the Snow, the S-N-O. Actually, I don't remember why it was called that. There, it has it's an acronym for something. Hmm. Uh, regardless, this is an Arduino that actually super was, naked ostrich. Exactly. That's that's precisely <laughs> what it is. Uh, I actually found this on um, Hackaday. Yeah, uh, there's a Hackaday article, so you can go check it out there. Uh, but this is an Arduino that is basically Arduino plus FPGA. Yeah, uh, all Someone, in one. He basically wrote some FPGA code that simulates a Arduino platform. Right, and it's sort of on like a little dev board stick. So the thing that's cool about it is you can still write in the Arduino IDE yep. to this. So it, it, it acts like an Arduino, but it gives you a handful of FPGA blocks to play with. So it's not as hard as getting into like real FPGA stuff. And in yeah. fact, I should, I should mention, um, the article was written by... Al Williams, who's been on the podcast before. Yep. Uh, Twice. Because, like, every time there's an FPGA article on, on Hackaday, it's Al <laughs> Williams. Because he's way into them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, so I thought that was super cool to um, have this FPGA. Now, I, I did see that there were some limitations to it. Like, on a normal FPGA, you get however many blocks are available yeah. inside. Um, and even a small FPGA has, like, gobs of blocks that you can play with. This one is a lot more limited. Um, well, because most of it is dedicated to this Arduino thing. Well, right, and and the way I kind of see it or understand it is that you don't necessarily get access to the actual FPGA blocks. You get kind of access to, like, Arduino-ized blocks. Oh, okay. So it's still, like... It's it's still an abstraction. They're still pulling you away mm -hmm. from the, the stuff, but at least it gives you like a an, an initial idea on FPGA stuff. So I guess if you wanted to make some uh, some logic blocks in there and yep. stuff, then then you could probably pull that off. But it, you know, if you're wanting to implement another core using Arduino, you know that that's not going to happen on something like this. Yeah. But you know, if you needed like hammer out some data in a nanosecond, I bet you it could do it. Yeah. And it's all open source. That's right. Yeah. Super cool. And then the third RFO is the uh, Analog Rich MCU Shoots for Sensor Nodes. And I thought this was really cool, too. Yeah, yeah. So I found this one on electronicsweekly.com. So this was a, they had a quick little, like, buzz article about this chip. And normally those kinds of things are just like, okay, they're trying to sell something. But this one actually has a, a really unique aspect about it that I haven't seen before. Me maybe neither. Maybe it's out there. But well... I mean, I'm sure it is. I've but. seen something like this, but not like this is like the feature that sells this chip. Usually yeah. this is something that's kind of like added on and it doesn't really work too well. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like the main feature for this. This is a PIC16F18446. 
for all of those who care. Yeah, it's made by Microatmel or Micromel. Micromel? Microchip. Yeah. There's yeah. still a microchip yeah. in my mind. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pick chip. But what's cool about it is it has a special sleep function that you can put the whole core to sleep, but you can still let the ADC run mm-hmm. while it's sleeping. And so it's not going to have to do some kind of funky jazz where it comes up uh, out of sleep if it detects something, and then it has to fire up the ADC. Yeah, and, and, then, and, and then sample. Yeah. And then sample. Yeah, the ADC can continue to sample during sleep. And in fact, you can wake up the processor based on the ADC. Based on a value. That's different. That's way different. You don't yes. see that. Because like usually it's like, I mean, with every microcontroller, you wake it up if anything happens, you yeah. know? <laughs> with this, you can say like, oh, only warn me if, it, if the threshold is above a certain level. Yeah. And that's really cool because you can, you can still, like, you could use this in a, quote, safety mode, you know, where like all the values beneath this I don't care about, like a temperature or something like that. You know like what actually would just be good for What's is that? like is actually safety applications for sensing like chemicals. Yeah, like um, uh, sulfur, because above a certain uh, ppm, uh-huh. sulfurs will kill you. <laughs> and so sure. a lot of people, you know, when I, I used to work in the oil field, so you would have a a sulfur sensor, right? And when it would get above a certain, uh, you know, I think I think it was sulfur. I think it's sulfur or methane or yeah, something like whatever. That. But but now. You know, you'd have to replace the battery like every month. Right, because it was awake all the time sniffing. Yeah. 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 But if you had, you know, your your microcontroller sleeping the entire time, waiting for the sulfur to get to a certain level, there you go. Yeah, because so if you have, even if, I mean, this this is a great situation. Well, here's the thing. They're selling this as like a sensor MCU. It's specific for low power yep. sensor applications. So think of if you have a passive sensor um and uh, even like tech, I don't know. How about how about like a, a microphone? And uh, you want the ADC to only pop up when it hears a high enough volume or something like that. Uh, you can save power on the processor and dedicate your power onto actually sampling. Um, I think it's sulfur dioxide. I that sounds like something that could kill you. Yeah, yeah. it's got oxide in it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I thought that I thought that was super cool. No, I, had, I really haven't cool. seen that before. Yeah, I haven't seen that kind of dedicated analog, you know, ADC kind of stuff before. The thing that I'm I'm most curious about is how do you set up that like sleep threshold, and can you add anything more to it? So in other words, like, can you add multiple thresholds where it does something if it goes beneath a value or above a value? Can you add like do something like mm-hmm. that, or can you have it where it's doing some low-level calculation uh, on that value above and beyond, and it only wakes up the processor if blah 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 happens? Like, what what is the possibilities with that? I, I bet you it just pulls a pin if X value is reached. You know, yeah. something like that. That's probably the lowest power way to do it but um but it's super cool Mm -hmm. and and this uh this actual article talks about uh, a little dev stick that you can get yeah so it's not just the just the pick you get a a little dev stick to play with so go check it out yep so i think that's uh that's it is that gonna wrap it up yeah so uh that was the macrofab engineering podcast we were your host Stephen craig and parker doman take it easy guys later everyone
Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. And uh, if you're in Houston, come to our hardware happy hour this Thursday. Um, and also check out our Slack channel. We'll be continuing discussion about the podcast, um, this tiny Arduino and the Ar- analog-rich MCU that... Steven really loves now that pick 16. Uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that on the Slack channel. So go and visit us there. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.